This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week for episode 324, two pro solar mechanics in training, Paul Jaisley. Hello, humanoids. And Nick White. I get that reference. <laughs> We're all loving Rockets aficionados here on the podcast. I think Paul is our, you know, main Jedi master. Nick and I are our Padwans in training. <laughs> That's right. Um, but regardless, you know, we're not here to talk about loving Rockets as much as I think we all would want to. We're here to talk about comic books in general. We got so many things to talk about today. We have a very, very special topic as commissioned by one of our wonderful patrons, Danny, um, that we're going to get into in the second half. But before we get into that, I've got one quick announcement. Um, so. Something happened a couple weeks back. Uh, me and a bunch of folks got together from the podcast here, and we sat down and we watched Star Wars Episode One. Um, Paul, Kara, Kate, Lamphere, Tia, uh, and and I and Paul. I don't I don't know if I said everybody. A bunch of us sat down, <laughs> yeah. and we recorded this wild thing. We watched all of Star Wars Episode One, and we recorded an audio track that you can get today on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast, and you can watch Star Wars Episode One with our wonderful, fantastic commentary from beginning to end. I'm really, really excited, mostly because watching back the video after I was editing it and stuff, I was like, you know what? This is actually pretty good. So go check that out. If you're not a patron, you should join the Patreon at the $5 plus tier and you can do that and listen to it and watch the whole video. There's a video component too that's that's on the on the Patreon, so you should check it out. But that's my big announcement. It's like two hours long. It's fantastic. Um, Paul, Nick, I don't know if you guys had a chance to check it out when I sent the link out, but uh, it's pretty nice if you ask me. Nice, nice. I had fun rewatching it. I had not seen that movie since I saw it in the theaters. So it was a fun, fun uh, <laughs> revisit. Fun question mark way to revisit it. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you're going to watch a movie that like, you know, isn't great, but is kind of fun, like, you know, that's yeah. probably the best way to do it with a bunch of friends on the internet. So of course. Yeah. But let's get into things. Let's talk about comic books. Let me ask these two legally mandated questions that I have. And that is, how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Paul. Uh, Mike, I've been doing well. Um, it's a lovely afternoon here in West Michigan. Uh, it's feeling a little bit spring-like, um, despite the past few days being bitterly cold and a little bit of snow last night. I had a fun weekend. Um, on Friday, I drove to Royal Oak, Michigan to go see the band Sparks live in concert. It was nice. fantastic. I love that band. It was great to see them. It was great to go to a concert again. Um, mm -hmm. all masked up, all vaxxed up, very safe, but, uh, it was kind of good to go back to a big show like that. It's been a while, obviously, since I'd done anything like that. That being said, I didn't have a ton of time to read a lot of comics this week. Um, so I've been <gasps> playing catch up on my, uh, weekly books. I'm a couple weeks behind as usual. And part of that is because I've been doing a lot of research, obviously for a better Batmobile, the Grant Morrison Batman reread that we will be doing on the Patreon. I think the first episode is going to drop very, very soon. Uh, so I've been reading a lot of old Batman comics, and part of that is I'm doing a lot of research into the Silver Age comics that Morrison references in their Batman run, um, and it leads me down some weird paths sometimes. And uh, because of that, I read World's Finest number nineteen, number eighty nine, which was published way back in August of nineteen fifty seven. Um, <laughs> written by Edmund Hamilton with art by Dick Sprang and uh, colors by. Our inks by Stan K. Sorry, you can't laugh every time I say Dick Sprang. Okay, sorry. Listen, the guy's we're adults name. on this podcast. Okay, yeah. show some respect. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Uh, this is a very strange issue. Obviously, um, it's uh, one of the main story in it is called the Club of Heroes, and it features the international uh, 
assembled League of Batman. Um, if you're familiar with Silver Age Batman, at one point he discovers that there's a bunch of other crime fighters around the world who were inspired by him, uh, and, and they became crime fighters themselves. You had the Legionary from Rome, El Gaucho from Argentina, the Musketeer from France, and Knight and Squire from England. And uh, in this story, Batman invites all of those characters, as well as Superman, to Metropolis because a millionaire philanthropist by the name of John Mayhew uh, built them their own clubhouse, essentially, a headquarters for this club of heroes to hang out in. And Mayhew says, well, I'll hand the deed to this building over to whoever is the chairman of this club. And of course, they're all so humble. They'll say, well, Superman should be the chairman. Obviously, he's the greatest hero of, of us all. Superman's so humble. He says, well, how about we have a competition? Whoever has the most extraordinary feat of crime fighting, super uh, whatever, gets to be <laughs> the chairman of the group, right? So it's, it becomes a competition. And of course, they're all so humble that whatever they do during that week, uh, this competition is going on, they don't tell anybody because they want Superman to be the chairman. However, <laughs> every time very convoluted, <laughs> yes, and it, it's like 11 pages long and there's a lot happens 11 pages every time Superman is uh, you'd think Superman would show up a job for Superman would happen. Um, he's not there. And instead, the strange, mysterious new hero named Lightning Man shows up mm. because every time, um, you know, Clark Kent is about to go do something, he gets very faint and he passes out. Turns out. There's a small chunk of kryptonite in orbit, and every time it passes over Metropolis, Superman gets very uh, disoriented. He blacks out, and while he's blacked out, he becomes Lightning Man and shows up and does the thing that Superman would do, and then uh, you know he wakes up and he can't remember anything. Huh. So uh, Batman figures this out. He discovers that Lightning Man is actually Superman when he's blacked out, and uh, everyone decides, okay, well, we'll take care of this thing, this uh, kryptonite fragment, solve that problem, and now Superman can be the chairman of the Club of Heroes and have the deed for this mansion in Metropolis where they all hang out. So there you go. It's a happy ending. <laughs> do you, do you know if that has anything to do with Superman's lightning powers that come from the split of the Superman following the death of Superman? I have no idea, Nick. I just think at one point, at one point they show uh, Clark Kent pass out and he wakes up. But he doesn't know he wakes up. He kind of like is in a trance and he just pulls like a uh, like window dressing, like a window curtain off the wall. And it's like orange and he makes his own costume out of it. That has a right. lightning bolt on the front and they call him lightning Naturally. Man because of that. So uh, he had the time at least to do that while he was uh, in this sort of like, you know, trance, this sleepwalking type trance caused by the kryptonite. Anyway, it's a very strange story. It's sort of weirdly charming <laughs> in a DC Silver Age fashion. You know what I mean? Sure. And Dick Sprang uh, is a great artist. He's a fantastic Silver Age artist. It looks really, really lovely. It's very strange. But I love how kind of like low stakes these stories are. Like it's, they're mm -hmm. just superheroes hanging out, having a good time. You know, they solve the issue pretty uh, handedly in a few pages. Um, and reading this stuff really makes you realize just like how revolutionary, like, the Fantastic Four must have been because this is what superhero <laughs> comics were. You know what I mean? It's like right, it makes right. sense when you read this, and then you read like the Galactus saga. It's like, yeah, Jack and Stan run a different level than this stuff. It's it's mm -hmm. obvious why that became so popular. So, 
Right. And now it's it's, it's so funny. Yeah. Looking back at these things, we're just like, yeah, the Fantastic Four is really not that crazy, you know, given all the (laughs) insane stories that we have now. But like, I could definitely see what you're talking about here. (laughs) Like if if somehow the man who can fly around the entire sun or the entire earth in seconds um, is being like knocked out by a piece of kryptonite and Batman has to solve it so that he can get a mansion like the stakes make no (laughs) sense here. No sense. (laughs) Uh, but regardless, you know, I had to read it because John Mayhew gets referenced in Grant Morrison's super, uh, uh, Batman series. So uh, there you go. That's the tie in right there. So like I said, my research has taken me down some weird paths and that's one of them. I love it. I love it. The other thing I read this week that was newer, thankfully, uh, is Step by Bloody Step number one. This is a new image miniseries written by Cy Spurrier with art by Mateus uh, Bergara and colors by Matthias Lopez. I kind of picked this up on a whim. I've liked other Cy Spurrier books that I've read. I flipped through it in the shop. The artwork is absolutely gorgeous. Some beautiful color work, almost like a watercolor type uh, color palette. Fantastically detailed artwork by uh, Bergara. And as Mm -hmm. I'm flipping through it, I realized the first few pages are just silent. There's no words or text or anything. And then I sat down to read the whole issue. It turns out the entire book is quote unquote silent. There's no words, no text, no dialogue. But it is kind of like a sci-fi version of the Iron Giant. The main character is this young girl who's being protected by this giant uh, giant armored robot um, who fights monsters in this bizarre landscape that they inhabit. Uh, they come across a group of people who seem to be bandits, and it protects uh, the girl. The thing is, the girl has no memory of why this is happening. They have no way of communicating with each other since they don't speak. Uh, the only dialogue you get in the book is written in sort of like symbols, like hieroglyphics by other characters. And yet I was totally enthralled by the story. I mean, the artwork is so lovely and does such a good job explaining things, mm-hmm. having emotions, having action. It really was a very engrossing, engaging story. I can't dis- wait to see where it goes. Um, it's a four issue series. Each issue is like double size. So there's a lot of material here. But it's one of those books that I would always almost recommend waiting for it to be collected because it feels like a very engrossing, engaging read that you're going to want to sit down and spend time with. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for the collected edition of this. uh, Or if you can't wait, pick up the first issue. I thought it was fantastic. I'm normally normally not a big fantasy guy, but I loved this comic. Yeah, this is an extremely surprising pick for you, Paul, for this week, if only because (laughs) I I never would have pegged you for someone that could dig this. I think the 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 gimmick of it and and I say gimmick in like a in a very um nice way like it, it's not a shtick i feel like seisburger and and uh, mateus bergara like they they took a big um leap with this book in saying let's do a For completely sure. silent series right because i think we all respect and love the you know the one-off batman issue that has no text or the one-off x-men issue that claremont did that has no text like everyone right. goes like ape shit for that but the, the to aim an entire series this way um is really interesting and i i don't want to say like this is an original thought you know like there are right. plenty of yeah. no text graphic novels out there and there are plenty of other issues that are, are other books out there that have done this but i think for a book that's coming out from image, this feels like a risk in a, in an interesting yeah. way. Like Hedra was an amazing book, no text. Um, but mm-hmm. this is an, an entire series that they're trying to tell a full blown story with. Um, and, and having read number two, um, I think you're going to love that this series even oh, more nice. if you continue reading okay. the series. Um, yeah, I'm it, very excited again, to keep going with it. Yeah. The genre f- is not a good fit. I don't know what the <laughs> hell's going on, Paul. Uh, <laughs> if you need help, blink twice, you know, <laughs> people are Look, growing, expanding no, their, their palate. It's making me uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Personal growth all over the place. Manga. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, 
I've realized that a person cannot survive on Batman comics alone. It's been a tough journey to get to that point, but you know, <laughs> now I've accepted that. I'm broadening my horizons. No, I, again, I like comics that take risks and are try to experiment with the art form, and this feels like a good example of that. Yeah, you know, yeah like yeah, you said, yeah. there's other examples of quote unquote silent or textless comics, but this feels like such a complex genre and story to do that with that's what i found exactly. so interesting and again like i followed it just fine like i never got confused like i really would told a well-constructed story just through the artwork so i was really impressed very mm-hmm. impressed by it no that's awesome I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you enjoyed it because i i was right there with you loved it from beginning cool. to end yeah. um but yeah nick what about you how have you been how have comic books been well I guess this is going to be like the 11 o'clock news and that you're going to get the weather at the beginning and then you're going to get the weather again at the end. So uh, yeah, everyone sure. just imagine that Paul and I are your two weathermen. And I guess, Mike, you're you're, you're going to do the sports segment this week. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, yeah. So yeah, uh, West Michigan Weather Watch. Uh, what the hell happened this weekend? It was right around 40 degrees and it snowed. Oh for all of yesterday i didn't think that you're actually gonna do a full brother report okay good continue (laughs) uh i'm gonna deliver on on my promises so and 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 in that vein i do expect a full uh sports segment so better start looking up those pistons box scores you got it uh so it's interesting that mike said we're not going to talk about love and rockets maybe about 10 minutes ago (laughs) yeah because we actually are going to talk about love and rockets paul buckle in all right so i read half of Maggie the Mechanic um, (laughs) for today. Mm -hmm. Uh, About two days ago, I thought I was going to be reading all of Maggie the Mechanic by Jaime Hernandez. Uh, And I was like, well, this book is 400 pages. That's a lot, but uh, I think I can do this. Um, And then I realized how dense this book is. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So this book is like, all over the place in terms of different story arcs, different subplots, seemingly one-shot experiments. Yeah. But it's also all over the place in terms of the level of text density in the book. Uh, (laughs) And also, interestingly, like the detailed nature of the art. Mm -hmm. There were definitely segments and and arcs and stories um, where the pencils and inking almost started to resemble like a Brian Balland level of detail yeah Yeah. and i was like well gosh you know um i liked the art before but this is like way more detailed um and i suppose that all of this um just very different variety of content is sort of what's going to happen i guess when you're probably culling together all of these different stories written over you know years and years i think when i started the book it was like stories from 81 and by halfway through the book, it was like already 86, 87. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just artistic growth or just how much time Jaime had on his hands whenever he was doing a specific story. And of course, I said it feels like it's a real hodgepodge. But I'm sure, again, that's also what happens when you're taking all these different stories, you know, from years and years and years and just smashing them all into the same book. So when you go, mm-hmm. well, why does it jump from this to this? I think it's just because it's a chronological arrangement. I don't know. In terms of what this book is about. um, Well, hold on. I don't think we have time for that. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Just just the high level would be that it it starts out as this sci-fi story about um, like a a mechanic. And a big emphasis at the beginning is that she sent off into the jungle with this repair crew to fix this rocket. 
and a whole bunch of things go south. And it felt like there was some 80s political commentary about governments mm-hmm. going on, but I'm not going to wade into that because I don't know about any of that. And Nick's a big Reagan head over here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've been reading a lot of Department of Truth. I don't want to talk about 80s <laughs> politics anymore. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I will say one thing that I found kind of interesting about the art, Paul, was that you've got a lot of characters and figures that are being drawn and depicted in a very realistic, grounded way. But then Mm -hmm. there's a lot of um, thought bubbles going on with characters where Mm -hmm. um, there's sort of like a cartoony imagery within them. Yeah, Uh, There's one moment where one of the main characters, Rex Race, is on trial and he doesn't think it's going to go very well. And you see a little thought bubble over his head, and it's like of a cartoon skeleton in a cell, like shackled to the wall. <laughs> and I was like, oh, gosh, that's that's really interesting. It's like a 30-year-old emoji in a way, kind of. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, what were the hieroglyphics, if not OG emojis? I'm kidding. That was a language. <laughs> Nobody came after me. Yeah. Um, well, and it's interesting. When you realize that Jaime Hernandez, you know, was a huge fan or is still a huge fan of Archie comics and Dennis the Menace, like all of the sort of yes. cartooniness in the artwork makes so much more sense. Well, and that's the other thing I noticed too, is that the book has sort of what I would consider comic strip elements. Yeah. There's a moment when I think, I think it's hope she becomes the assistant to Rex or whatever. And yeah, um, she's like in love with him or whatever, and he calls her cutie. And then she does that thing you see with cartoon characters where she's like walking on air, you know, she's yeah, just so yeah. elated about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's another scene where this dinosaur seems to get along with, I can't remember any of the characters' names anymore. And you see little hearts over its head. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's it's interesting to have these sort of, like I said, cartoony comic strip-esque animated elements juxtaposed with a seemingly realistic grounded story yeah and there's a lot of wrestling in this book Mm -hmm. it was really hard to read this book it's really hard to speak to this book i would encourage (laughs) people to still read this book it's just that it it, it's like you're reading through all of jaime's work just plowing Mm -hmm. through it one after the next and it almost feels like not giving it the air and the context to properly breathe. Yeah. I I would say by the time you get to the end of this volume, when you get to the story titled 100 Rooms, that's when it really becomes what Love and Rockets is now. Like it becomes less of the sort of sci-fi, you know, influence type stuff. It becomes very much more centered on Maggie and her friendships. And that's really going forward. That's what the book is. It's much more it's coherent, not only say coherent, but much more streamlined story wise. Uh, the artwork Less gets a lot tighter and refined. All over the place. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it kind of like has a more of a direction. So if you can survive, once you get to 100 rooms, it's toward the end of this volume. Uh, that's really where it becomes what Love and Rockets, you know, is and why it's celebrated. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I, I would encourage you to keep going. I'll keep going. I'll, I'll, I mean, I said I was going to finish this volume and it does seem like. I've I got to like the penny century stories yeah. and at yeah. least it's like moving along at a clip now. It's mm-hmm. not like the rocket in the jungle story where literally there's <laughs> no text bubbles. It's all being yeah. narrated via um letters being sent back home. Yeah. And so it's text block after text block after text block after text block. 
Yeah. And it's a lot. Um, yeah, you're, you're seeing Jaime as an artist and a storyteller sort of evolve into their sort of final form, you know, and it, mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of rough around the edges. But when it clicks, like I said, that I think 100 Rooms is when it clicks. And that's really like where it becomes very special. So, yeah. Um, so I will have another report on that okay. uh, in the future. So <laughs> good, good. That's uh, <laughs> just wanted to uh, put that one out there. I also read A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance, number six, by Rick Remender. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, he got it right, guys. Everyone, uh, show's over. Nick, Nick got the title of this book I, correct. <laughs> I, I get it right when I have to talk about the book. When it's off the cuff, it becomes um, like a search for vengeance, uh, uh, whatever. Um, this is drawn by Andre Lima Arujo, le- colors by Chris O'Halloran, and letters by Russ Wooten. Even more so than in the past, uh, I realize every time I bring up this book, it's A, this is a great book, you need to read it. B, I really can't talk about this book. (laughs) (laughs) And even more so than in the past, both of those points hold true. Uh uh It's significant to point out that with this issue, uh, it is the first issue of the second arc. It does seem like it's a real departure uh, in terms of tone action, the timing, the amount of dialogue, um, the amount of exposition. When Mike and I were talking about it yesterday, he said, yeah, it does seem kind of slow. And I think my response was something like, yeah, it's it's slow in the sense that driving on the highway is slow after all you've been doing for a year is drag racing. Because, <laughs> yeah. because that's what issues one through five were. So yeah, yeah. everything everything after that just crawls to a halt and and the issue begins with a little bit of a time jump and i won't say anything more than that but the moment that that happens you're like oh this is a little different like we're not Mm -hmm. living moment to moment anymore is this going to be a real departure and with mark Wahlberg, no and and in that sense it does slow down it does have more emotional beats you do learn a couple things about characters and you start to wonder if it's one of those, and I think we've all read these, when when the arc goals or objectives shift and you start to see that first issue of an arc kind of just be about building a foundation, right? Like, well, we're going to set things up for the next arc. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, this issue isn't really that fun or exciting. Yeah, I know, but someone's got to put in the foundation, right? And we have sure. those issues and they're not fun, but we understand why they're like that. Um, I think this issue manages to strike that balance of being a foundational issue, setting up a roadmap for the next arc. But again, you also have some reveals, you have some emotional beats, um, you do learn some things, there are a couple twists, and so it sort of is able to walk and chew gum at the same time, which not all foundational issues, I find, are able to pull that off. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, R- R- Remender did it. I mean, a couple issues back, I kept thinking to myself, when we hit this second arc issue, like, how's the the transition to arc two going to happen? And what is it going to be? And I'm happy to say, I, I think this book is still solid. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, if only because I this book has successfully managed to make me not hate it after five issues. <laughs> Uh, which like is hard is a weird thing to say, but I feel like I've oh I've been hoodwinked many times by Rick Remender books, and this book, yep. even with the 
this, the drastic shift in, I think, speed, uh, it, it, I still was really, really engaged. Like something about the way that that first arc is delivered made me feel like this series has a lot of legs to it. And I'm really excited to see where he goes. Like I'm I'm cautiously trusting that this book is going to be great. Um, and so I'm very excited to see what the next arc is like. Um, yeah, I would I would really love to know. And maybe this has been discussed, but if I was a remember, I wouldn't be showing my hand on this. If this is, <clears throat> excuse me, if this is like carefully specifically planned as like two to three arcs, or if this is more open-ended than that. Yeah. And it's not to say that people can't, you know, do a massive ongoing and plan it as they go, but this feels very planned at this point. Sure. I, I would just, I honestly have looked into nothing about this book. I just wait for the issue to come out and then I read it. That's as far as I want to look like. I genuinely want to be surprised by this book as much as I can. So um, anyways, we could talk about this all day. I'm going to talk about some books that I've read. Um, I'm not going to be on the show next week because I'm closing on a house and I'm doing all the business of cleaning a house before you move into it. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I am going through that this week and it's it's a whole thing. Mike won't be on the show, but if you have access to Home and Garden TV, he'll be on <laughs> yeah. on Wednesday at 3 p.m. So yeah. right after those two property brothers. Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. Um, anyways, but I, I did manage to read some comics in my in my time of stressing. Uh, I sat down and read Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Annual 2022 number one. Uh, this is written and drawn by Juni Ba. Uh, colors by Rhonda Pattinson. Letters by Sean Lee. Um, I don't read the ongoing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series, but I saw that Junie was going to be on this book and I was like, okay, picking this book up. I don't care what it is. I'd seen some of their drawings of the turtles on Twitter before and I was like, if anybody can draw the turtles, it's it's this person. And so I picked it up <laughs> and I not having no idea what was going on in the turtles. There's an opening paragraph that explains, hey, this is what recently happened. A big shift in the turtles happened. And uh, this is an issue of the turtles reflecting on that thing happening. Um, so I don't want to spoil that if you are yeah. reading the Turtles series. But I will say that I have never in my entire life read a comic that so perfectly captures a licensed character in my life um there, there's maybe and again i i say this hesitantly because i'm always scared to talk about this there are some rick and morty comics that do it well kyle starks grabbed that character those characters worked really well with it and they had a couple of artists on that series that were great but this i book, feel like the like, rick and morty comics are mike's like stumbling upon like the playboys in the woods thing it's like mike's like secret <laughs> that he's like yeah it's out there and i know it's there but i don't really want to talk about it. yeah exactly uh but this teenage mutant ninja turtles issue is perfect um the 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 way that juni ba draws these characters the tones and voices that he gives them it hits every single nail on the head like i know eastman and somebody else are like layered consulting or and yeah they are consulting on it but like this book feels like a fan of Tur- of the turtles came in and was able to deliver a perfect issue from beginning to end from the way that they the characters are like they they're written from how they're drawn like ba captures a perfect look for each of the characters or each of the turtles that is distinct and even in the moment where they all wear like they go to this thing and there's a moment where they all put back on their classic red bands like red um um scarves that they yeah bandanas or whatever that they used to wear masks and it's (laughs) like even with those masks on you can tell which turtle is which not just even not just from their weapons but just from the way that they hold themselves um and the other thing i want to shout out about this book is ronda pattinson deserves a coloring award for this book i 
like as much as Junie Ba's art is fantastic, this book would not work without the color work that exists in it. There is a page that God, if I could, there are so many pages in this book that if I could get a hold of them physically, I would. I would pay stupid amounts of money for them. Um, and Pattinson's color work on those pages is just astounding. Like there's a wonderful like top to bottom frame by frame uh, drawing of the turtles. They're fighting this monster. Each of the turtles is colored their specific color, but it's done in such a smart way. And like the lettering around it is really, really intelligent um, that I was like, this is if, if I wanted to explain what the turtles were to somebody, I would just give them this page and they would get it from beginning to end. Um, so, yeah, really, really enjoyed this issue. If you just want to read a good turtle story, I think this is perfect. Like the summary that they give you at the beginning of the issue, um, just like a small paragraph is enough for you to get into the issue. And if you're someone like me who knows enough about who the four Teenage Mutant Turtles are, you're going to love this issue and um, really pulls at your heartstrings and captures everything that makes the turtles great all in one issue. So got to credit, credit Junie Ba for that and the whole creative team because it's just fantastic. Yeah, I, I read this too and... Mike pretty much nailed everything right on right on the head. It it is true that it does sort of open with that paragraph and there is sort of a reveal of a plot point. I wouldn't say that it's real revelatory. I don't think it's something that will surprise people. I would say that maybe if you're current or um, not if you're current, if you're current you're fine. If you're close to current or you're like nearly current with this book, I would probably hold off until you're 100% there, because then I guess in that case, I would consider this maybe a spoiler. But otherwise, again, it's not the most shocking twist. And plot does not play a major part in this issue, Mm -hmm. but it's gorgeous, as Mike said. And it was like my biggest takeaway from this book. Juniba manages to literally take away the masks, put on the red masks, and bestow upon each of the turtles like a physical look and characteristic that makes each one visually distinctive and characteristic. Mm -hmm. Um, Even the way that Raphael's um, mask has like these like angular sort of like a real aggressive sharp cuts in it that sort of give it his his ethos, I guess you could say. Um, Fantastic, fantastic book artistically. Mm -hmm. I would be shocked if this is not up for awards. And if it's not up for awards, it's just because of the inherent bias against franchise books. Yeah, maybe. I, I For those of you who are hanging out with us in, the, in the Discord chat, I posted a, a clip of a panel that I thought was just amazing. But anyways, yeah, so that book was amazing. Uh, I also want to talk about Immortal X-Men number one. Uh, this is my pick on the show last week. This is by Kieran Gillen, art by Lucas Wernick, uh, colors by David Curiel, and letters by Clayton Coles. And Honestly, like, I don't know what to say. This book ruled. I think I was shouting its praises before it even came out. I trust Kieran Gillen to nail the X-Men. And then after reading his newsletter that came out this past week saying like, hey, when Marvel pitched this book to me like a year ago, they were like, hey, Jonathan's leaving the X-Books. We want to kind of usher in this new era of the destiny of X after uh, the destiny character shows back up in the series. Uh, And so they wanted him to work on this book which is about the Quiet Council. And for the record, I couldn't remember it last week, but the Quiet Council currently consists of Professor X, Emma Frost, Destiny, Mystique, Storm, Nightcrawler, 
Kate Pride, Colossus, Sebastian Shaw, Exodus, and Mr. Sinister. And if you're not plugged into the X-Men universe, this doesn't matter. And none of it is, is important. <laughs> but it's a crazy amount of mix. Or it's a crazy mix of villains and heroes or former villains and former heroes and and kind of in between folks and people you wouldn't expect in leadership positions. Um, so it's such a such a wonderful issue overall and it seems that gillen is going to be taking each issue and putting it into the minds of a different character per issue so he's going to be like this first issue is in the head of mr sinister and the next issue is going to be in the head of another character um, which is very exciting and to have the series start with mr sinister i think is very smart um if only because rather than just rehashing things or giving us these the dreaded page of text that the X-Men books love to do now um, to kind of get you caught up. The entire book is just dotted with Mr. Sinister talking about how smart he is and how much he knows about every character that's in the book. So Mr. Sinister in being a smarmy piece of shit actually gets you caught up as to where you should be um, and knowing what's happening with each of the characters that are involved. So I thought that was a really clever way to get around the this might be your first X-Men book in the new era of X-Men. So like if Paul or Nick, if you guys were to pick this issue up, because I know you're not reading X-Men regularly, um, right. <laughs> you might be able to actually get caught up. <laughs> yep. So this book it, it rules and I, I totally love it. And uh, I'll leave things there because I feel like, <laughs> I don't know, I, every every once in a while we get some really good X-Men books. And I think this is going to be one of those top ones, especially given how solid I think a lot of Gillen's other Marvel work has been recently. Um, that dude's on on fire right now. So I'm really excited to see where this book goes. But anyways, let's uh, let's move on. Talk about comics that are on the top of our pile. Comics that we're looking forward to reading next. Um, let's just uh, bounce right back over to you, Nick. What are you excited for? Gosh, there's so many new books coming out this week. I think there's a new volume of Drifting Dragons. Uh, a lot of other stuff. Really, really solid stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. This was a tough week to pick, but for me, it's going to be uh, the Rocketeer, the Great Race, number one. Maybe they could have come up with a different name than the the great rate i don't hmm well, okay hey, you know races are car races rocketeer yeah. he's a rate like he, yeah. he flew pla- flew planes right so it yeah okay um so this is by stephen mooney uh writing and art stephen mooney is perhaps best uh known for his original series half past danger and the follow-up half past danger 2 dead to reichs r-e-i-c-h-s get it joke about nazis <laughs> uh which also came out from idw um, he also drew several issues of Greg Pak's run on James Bond, amongst other things. What's the summary? Well, ace stunt pilot Cliff Secord has returned from his New York adventure to a West Coast steeped in paranoia over the looming war in Europe. Having finally had enough of his near-death scrapes as the high-flying rocketeer, the only thing in Cliff's crosshairs is the Great Race, a prestigious winner-takes-all air race that runs from California to France. Perhaps it's finally time to smarten up and fly straight by taking his best girl Betty to Paris, but other parties want to win. Who cares? You know, I'm not. I'm not even going to finish. I'm not even. Yeah. No one cares. What no one, is this? Is this no an Archie comic? <laughs> no. God, look. I want. I want to see the helmet. I want to see a big rocket plume from the from the from the um from the rocket pack. I want to see a couple uh Nazis get shot. That's what I want, and I want it to look yep. good. If and if this book delivers that, that's fine. Um, it is the 40th anniversary of the first appearance of the Rocketeer. I think that's mm. great. The book is also going to come with uh, an oral history featuring Dave Stevens, the, the original creator of the Rocketeer, uh, his friends, family, and fellow artists all called together. 
And it's going to be, yeah, all called together by the director of the forthcoming documentary on the beloved artist. So very, uh, you know, fortuitous, uh, perfect timing, uh, given uh, 40th anniversary. And, you know, who, who cares about the plot? I, it, mm-hmm. uh, the Rocketeer <laughs> has always been about looking good. It's always exactly. been about looking good. Yeah. Um, let's not pretend that we care about Rocketeer lore. No one cares. <laughs> I, think, I think there's people Rocketeer out there continuity. that do, but you know what? That's fine. Yep. We're, we're going to say on this show, we don't care about it. Unless, Paul, you disagree. <laughs> it's about looking good. Look who's been on this book. Chris Somney. Look, yeah. great looking uh, miniseries. Can I tell you what it was about? No, absolutely not. Uh, Darwin Cook. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. stellar Rocketeer work. Do I remember the plot? No, who cares? It's about looking good. It's about <laughs> what? Jetpack. You're not wrong, Nick. You're not Who wrong. Is this That's person the on the show about. right now. What the fuck is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I don't care about Rocketeer lore. They're not going to make me care. I'm just picking this up because I'm shallow. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Um, okay, Paul. What about you? Can you top the Rocketeer, the Great Race? <laughs> I really can't. I really can't top that. So um, I'll secede my pick. No, no. Um, <laughs> uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'm way behind on my my uh, monthly comics. Uh, so I have a big stack uh, of stuff waiting for me to read. But you know, I decided to pick something that's coming out this week that will probably make its way up to the top of my pile. Uh, Black Widow Ooh. number 15. Uh, Black Widow is one of my favorite current superhero books, which is not something I expected to say, but it's a fantastic, fantastic series written by Kelly Thompson with art by Elena Casagrande. Um, Again, a character that I know very little about. I've read the other recent series um, that uh, Mark Wade and Chris Somney did. I really liked that, mainly because of the aesthetics. It's such a good looking book. And I feel this is a similar thing. Uh, Casagrande's artwork is absolutely lovely. And... uh, her and Kelly Thompson have put together a really interesting story, actually, that involves Natasha putting together a group of um, heroes or you know associates, including her sister, Yolana, and uh, the Winter Soldier. Um, the current story arc involves them tracking down the Living Blade, and this is going to be the issue where we get a big knockdown dragout fight between Natasha Romanoff and the Living Blade. And the best thing about this series is like, Every issue, there's going to be at least one big double page spread that Casa Grande does that mm-hmm. kind of like is almost like a J.H. Williams III type layout, you know, very dynamic. Uh, you get a full big picture, but as you zoom in closer, you see it's like a bunch of action shots strung together in a very engaging way. It's like it's one of those books I just have to spend a lot of time reading because I'm just so taken by the artwork. Um, nice. It really is one of my favorite super books because of that. It's a book that, you know, in terms of story and continuity, much like The Rocketeer, maybe I'm not that invested in, but it just looks lovely. And I sometimes you just want <laughs> comic books that are exciting, action packed, and just look good. And this is nailing it for me month to month. I really enjoy this series a lot. Cool. It's, it's speaking cool. of The Rocketeer uh, and <laughs> yeah. Mark Wade and Chris Somney, they teamed up on a miniseries called The Rocketeer, uh, The Cargo of Doom. So okay, and I read that. Do you remember what the cargo of doom was? No, because I. I <laughs> it was dinosaurs. In order to, it was awesome. I'm not it, trying it to dinosaurs. make my point here, but I don't even. <laughs> it was dinosaurs. Okay, it was dinosaurs. It, it was a really okay. good series. Yeah. 
I don't know if uh, you're pulling my leg. Is that a joke? Was that really what it was? Find out. You have to go back and reread it and find out. Yeah, yeah. you have to go back and reread it. We're not going to spoil anything today. <laughs> Paul, uh, Black Widow 15, though, sounds interesting. I think I read the first volume of this series, and I never went mm-hmm. back to it. I remember yeah. Casa Grande's art being spectacular from beginning to yeah. end. Um, yeah. So you're selling me on going back and trying to find those trades. If I can get volume two um, or volume three or whatever, I think they were all on Hoopla at some point. So maybe I can grab those because um, I yeah. remember liking it. Yeah, it's good stuff. Again, it's like not the most like exciting or engaging, but like it just it sometimes you just want like fun superhero comics, and that's that's what it is, and I like it. Awesome, very awesome. Uh, well, I guess before I get into my picks, uh, we have some ha- uh, some folks hanging out with us today on the Discord, and they sent over what books are on the top of their pile. So our good friend Danny is going to be reading X Men number X Men Red number one. Excuse me. Uh, Brian is going to be reading Buffy, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the twenty fifth anniversary special. Paul G said they're reading Foul Brood by Chris Sabella. Uh, this is the B murder mystery series that you may have seen on Kickstarter. And uh, Hugh is reading Marauders number one. A lot of X books that came out this week. And uh, I have decided that I'm not excited about any of them. Uh, with <laughs> the exception, excited. <clears throat> with the exception, oh, I'm not, I will not engage. Uh, with the exception, <laughs> X-Men Red number one. I am very excited about that, actually. I didn't realize that this was the book that I thought it was. Uh, this is Al Ewing uh, on writing with art by Stefano Caselli. Colors by Federico Blee. Uh, letters by Ariana Maher. Ultimately, my question is, what is Al Ewing going to do on Mars? Because this book is about the X-Men on Mars. The summary is, who can save the red planet? Uh, the mutants of Araco spent millennia scarred by war, but on what was once called Mars, they are learning to live in peace. Storm, who is, by the way, like the leader of the X-Men and mutants on Mars, um, knows the planet re- the red planet needs something greater than a queen. But Abigail Brand has other plans, along with an unstable Vulcan, a.k.a. the, the third Summers brother, um, by her side. And Cable keeping his own secrets, the Summers son. Um, so welcome to X-Men Red. It's a new world and someone <laughs> has to fight for it. Like this book is going to be what? wild if only because uh, Al Ewing doesn't mess around. Like his sword run was absolutely incredible. And now he's kind of continuing it in space with mm-hmm. Abigail Brand and the big revelation of what happened at the end of Sword, which is pretty interesting to me. Um, this story is going to be focusing on Storm, Magneto and Sunspot, according to the cover. And I am fucking in for that. Uh, like a story that focuses around Storm and Magneto alone is a book that you're like can count me in for. Um, and I'm going to be very excited. Like I was going to read this regardless, but I'm actually excited compared to some of the other X-Men books that are coming out this week. So uh, that's what's on the table for me. Whenever Mike reads X-Men solicits, like I have that moment in the back of my brain where I'm like, I know this is English, but <laughs> okay. But why am I not under? But why does it not? Ultimately, it starts to feel like I'm having a stroke, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just sort of start to sniff around for the smell of burnt toast because right. I mean, you never know. Yeah. Well, um, I'll I'll make sure to give you a full report on this, Nick, so you can truly feel insane after I read this issue. But um, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break, though. When we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, our commissioned episode topic, which is, you know, what are our comic book gripes and how can we fix them? Our comic grievances, I guess. Like, this is our, our big Seinfeld episode, whatever that thing was that <laughs> they did in that episode. So we'll be back to talk about that in just a second. This week on I Read Comic Books, we're going to be talking about 
a commissioned topic from our good friend Danny, who's supporting us on Patreon at our $10 tier. Uh, that means he gets to commission an episode. And he decided that we're going to be talking about the airing of our comic grievances and how we fix these things. What are our gripes? What are our pains? I'm going to read this thing that Danny sent over us, sent over to us as part of this topic discussion. Um, you know, he said, in the interest of bringing a positive attitude, I think for any grievance, you know, brought about the host that we can propose a change or a fix. Um, and, you know, he's curious to know if we had any special insights. So like Nick and Paul and I, we've all got our own various thoughts about, you know, some of the problems and different issues that we have in comics. So I guess to get things started, I mean, I'm going to bring up the one that has been a perpetual problem for anybody. And I'm sure that there are people out there that will disagree with me. But this is this is my opinion. Okay. So my thought is like, you know, one of my issues with comics, I think a lot is, is, is comic book crossovers, right? I think we all have a little bit of a bone to pick with comic book crossover events. You know, we're thinking about like our civil wars or our, I don't know, X-Men battle of the atoms or hell pretty much X-Men at the X of swords, the series that they did. X-Men versus Avengers, right? Yeah, like all of the X-Men versus... It's all the X-Men problems, right? But I think this is bigger. <laughs> this goes beyond just X-Men. This is like pretty much any major title eventually will hit a a point where they end up doing a big crossover event where you have to read a bunch of extra titles that you probably normally wouldn't be pulling. Um, or if you are pulling all of them, maybe the story just doesn't fit normally. You know, and I, I really don't want to harp on this because I think we've all talked about it to, to, to death on this show. And I'm sure if you're reading comics regularly, you've heard other people talk about this to death. You know, the issue mostly just being sometimes I don't want to read an extra six or seven books just to get a full story. Like, why can't it just be told in one story? And I mean, Nick, Paul, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts before I get into what my proposed thoughts and the solution would be. But um, I don't know. How do you guys feel about crossovers? Yeah, I mean, I my short version would be make make event books standalone. <laughs> yeah, this should be this should be optional. You should have to opt into a crossover rather than being you know sort of forced into it based on the mm-hmm. books you're reading. Mm-hmm. Um, unless it's a, sort of like a natural sort of organic tie in, but they usually don't feel that way. Yeah, my biggest pet peeve is like when they announce now the the trend seems to be all right. The main crossover is going to be six issues. Um, you can just read that. There's also going to be two dozen one shots that somehow tendentially tie in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's my bigger pet peeve. Like they, they've shifted away from like, all right, the entire you know uh, continuity, of the entire uh, product line is going to be infected by this crossover. Instead, you just have a bunch of one shots that you might be necessary to read to understand the six issue story we're telling. Um, and it kind of really, so one of my things I want to point out too is like, uh, when they do that, why don't the collected editions include the tie-ins cont- uh, in terms of the continuity narrative of the story? Yeah. You know, like when I pick up right, a collection right. of a crossover, I want all the stuff that is apparently important enough to fall under the banner of the crossover to be slit, put in that story in the order that the story makes sense. You know, not collected at the end or a different collection. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that drives me nuts when you're trying to read a crossover and you, you can't get all that. Yeah, I just read War of the Bounty Hunters and they took all the one shots and they threw them into their own trade. And as Paul yeah. said, this was an event, I believe, curated by Charles Soule. Full credit to him, because I do think he does try to um, organize these things with a fair level of, you know, deliberation. The, 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 the one shots were meant to be read obviously at certain points relative to the rest of the book and they just threw it all into one book. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's something I've noticed when I was reading um, the metal crossovers or the death metal crossovers at DC is like they had all these one shots and they clearly were supposed to be read at certain times in the story, 
mm-hmm. unless, but unless, you know, I'm not, come on. Who's got time to read the actual checklist that they publish to, to see Ooh. or to read the little editor's oh, note that says these events take place before this issue. I'm just yeah. reading my comics, you know, to relax and I'm buying the, the physical issues. I don't always notice that stuff right away and I always get very confused. So interesting. Uh, big pet peeve of mine. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because I almost said I said in my notes that I think that the solution to big crossover events is to drop all of the non-essential stories into their own one-shots. Um, and I don't mean like miniseries. I mean singular one-shot stories. There's If, if you're not involved in the main storyline, you don't need three to six issues to tell your stupid little side story, right? That's my pers- right. personal opinion, right? I, I yeah. think, it, I, mostly I think I'm talking about the situation of if you're reading ongoing, right? So like I read Death of Doctor Strange, which personally felt like a good crossover, right? Like mm-hmm. the six issues or five issues of the core story where's everything they need, like say what you will about the end of that that story you know whatever but i felt like the the idea and the structure for the narrative uh, or for the 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 way that they told the stories were good and you know we got the main storyline and if you wanted to you could read these tie-in stories that kind of had something to do with the main story but if i hadn't read them and i hadn't read any of them up until some people on the server recommended me a few of them i didn't feel like i was losing anything and then when i read those later i was like oh this is just supplemental but it had nothing to do with the bearing of the main story like mm, okay. it gave a little bit of context mm. as to why a character was in a certain place but like it's fucking comic books man like wolverine's just gonna show up you know like spider-man's <laughs> just gonna happen to fucking be there like it's fine like i don't have to yeah. know that he was at his aunt may's and then he ran into mj who was like peter don't go through that port like i don't give a shit like he just he shows up okay so (laughs) i i like that but the key thing about that is if those stories do need to be read in a certain order i 100 percent agree with you if they're compiled into a collection they should be published in reading order because those checklists that they give you in those single issues in my mind are super crucial like if you don't if you're publishing an event nowadays and i think most of the the big publishers are doing this like if you don't give me a checklist as to what i need to read and in what order like why would I even try? Why would I even give a shit? And I there's there's another layer to this that goes up uh, beyond just the reading experience, but from the local comic book shop experience, like I've only heard terrible things about these event like books in general where like (laughs) there are all these one shots and like there's the main story so if i walk into my shop and say hey pulled death of dr strange my shop doesn't know that i also want the dozen one shots and as a reader who like you want me to fucking pour through the diamond previews list and like give you all the books that i want for this event that are going to be one-offs that maybe i don't even know about her like how many people are actually going to the diamond pull like book to actually get all their books? Maybe Paul, Nick, you guys are, or you were at one <laughs> yeah. point, but like 90% of people, are they doing that that are reading comics? Or do they just say, Hey, I read all Do- Dr. Strange, give me all the Dr. Strange books. And then the, the shop has to go, do I want to give them these extra eight books? Right. Because they are part of yeah. the event, but they aren't Dr. Strange books. Right. It, it, mm-hmm. it, these are, these are the problems. And I think like, it's a huge, it, it, it's not a huge gripe, but like, It is frustrating to to be in those situations, which kind of begs the question of like, if you wanted to tell me a 15 issue story, then just say that the arc is 15 issues and include them all and then collect them all in that order. Like, why are we what are are we doing here? Like, what what are we actually doing here by adding all these extra little side stories other than just trying to get more books in people's hands? And yeah, and and I I try to stay above the fray with a lot of that bullshit by reading it in trade format. And mm-hmm. so, sure. yeah, I definitely, if I'm showing up to read this after the fact and I'm not trying to follow a monthly checklist and I'm probably paying a little bit extra to be reading it in trade, yeah, I do expect you to offer me a 
curated reading experience where everything's in order. And it feels like maybe 10 years ago, this used to be the norm. Like it used to be in the right order, but maybe they were worried now that people are going to get confused. Well, if there isn't a clear demarcation between like, hey, you're reading the main storyline and this is a one shot, like I definitely can see that because art changes, writing style changes, focus changes, all that stuff. But I interrupted you, Paul. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, in that case, you just have to wait for the absolute edition, right, Nick? Because eventually at one point they'll collect it again. Yeah. Because I noticed they did that. And it depends on the the crossover itself. Because I know when they've done the the like the final crisis collections, they've included the the one shots that are part of the main story, and they usually put them in the book where they take place in the story. So mm-hmm. it really comes down to whoever's editing the collection. And I just wish it was uniform, you know, across the way, because it would make reading this stuff more appealing. Like if I wanted to read, uh, I don't know why, if I wanted to read like an X-Men Avengers crossover, like I wouldn't know where to start. Like I would need someone to kind of do it for me, do the uh, curation for me. And I just don't <laughs> yeah. feel that always happens. So, right. Yeah. yeah I, and I guess like to not just continue down this negative pit because Danny right. in the chat is just spamming chaos gifts. <laughs> I, I think that like our solution here for this, because um, I do want to get to other points, is you know, a reading list is required, right? Like that should be your first opening page. Here's everything that you're going to read. Here's the order that you're going to read it in. And here are all the credits for that. Like I know, Paul, this is another thing we can talk about it in a bit, but like here are all the credits. Here's the the issues that are included. And here's everything. Like if you're getting just the main storyline, there should also be a page that's like, by the way, um, there's this other book that contains all the side stories, but you're just getting the main story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that, I mean, the real solution to me is like, don't publish all these side stories. If these side stories are crucial to the plot, make them part of the main storyline. Right. Right. Like, it almost are, feels like a hedging of the bets. Right. Right. That's really what it is. Well, Marvel and DC know that 12 issue events sell, right? They've been yeah. doing right. them for yeah. years. So just accelerate the, like, not, not, not accelerate the pace of publishing of the main story, but like put these side issues in between, you know, publishing at the same time, but make them part of the main storyline. We know that you can do a week to week, batman book for 12 weeks straight we know you can yep. do a three month on or three week on one week off spider-man story like why not make that do that for the event um mm-hmm. if you're planning this stuff far enough in advance like just do that and i think that will create a better reading experience and enjoyment for readers so um or if you want to sure. go real wild you could go oversized issues have yep. b stories at the back maybe yeah. condense them a little bit more than they currently are and turn these one shots into slightly smaller B stories in right. oversized main issues. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. all of this would m- make things less chaotic, I think, for both physical and digital and collected readers, like all at once. Um, I mean, it's, it's all just a matter of like informing your readers that these are the way that we're, because like if we're not going to move to the model of just telling straightforward stories. <laughs> Um, and instead, right. we're going to yeah. keep this chaotic world of like, well, there's going to be this main storyline, but then 15 other side storyline. Like, they've got to do something to like make things less confusing. So, anyways, let's mm-hmm. let's wrap up For on sure. that one. Um, sure. <laughs> move on. Uh, I guess Nick, or let's jump over to you, Paul. What's what's one of your your pet peeves or one of your grievances here? This is something, and it seems very like nitpicky, and admittedly probably is, but it's something I've noticed recently when I'm reading trade collections, trade paperbacks, or collected editions of ongoing s- series. Mm. And they edit the the comics where they basically remove the title page and the credits from the page which they occur. Uh, yes. And for the collected edition. And it always bugs me because 
you can see that there's a like a big open space on the page where there's nothing or there's very little like <laughs> sometimes they don't even here. tell you you're in a new issue yeah right yeah. Oh they just oh, start yeah that's my biggest pet peeve i'm someone who really enjoys reading physical single issues I'm used to the rhythm and pace of a 22-page comic book story, so I can see Mm -hmm. them happening in the collection, but I like seeing the cover, and I like seeing the credits, and I like seeing the title, because it's all part of the reading experience for me. And when you take that out, sometimes, yeah, it is confusing when a story ends and begins. When an issue, you can kind of tell based on the rhythm of the storytelling, but to actually have that conclusive, you have been reading, this is the title of the issue, by Mm -hmm. so-and-so, so-and-so, so so like I like having all that stuff as part of the reading experience and again it it, is noticeable because sometimes you're just looking at the page like why did the artist just stop drawing at the bottom of this page like oh you just took (laughs) out what was there it's so frustrating to me and again it feels nitpicky but i like the experience of reading comics issues as a chapter as a as a statement in and of themselves and without that it kind of just feels it's just you know a collection of stories without that sort of rhythmic chapter type you know uh distinction yeah. yeah, you don't have the sort of beats that you have that you would normally have if you were going through a full issue. You just don't. Yeah. It just well, and and it's, it, God, it's so it's, bad. it's especially frustrating <laughs> because I think that in a in a in the world of prose, right? Like the end of a chapter is usually ended with like some kind of cliffhanger, the same way that an end of a single issue on an ongoing series can end in a cliffhanger and typically does. The thing is that in a prose book, you usually have like a page turn or a chapter head marker or something that like really indicates that like this is the end of of a a chapter and we're actually giving you like a a, a cliffhanger. Um, And in comics, that like that actual placement of the this was presented by or written by so and so and so and so like that kind of denotes the end of chapter and you know that that the hook that you're feeling as a reader is meant to be the stopping point of that contained chapter um Mm -hmm. and when you Mm -hmm. read books because i've read trades where like they got rid of all that stuff and you feel like oh man there's suspense building and then you turn the page and the suspense is immediately relieved it feels like bad writing but it's not because if you take it out of the context of the collected edition that's actually Mm -hmm. great suspense that then gets paid off a month later and while you're still going to be reading the book with that text and stuff like that in there you at least if they insert the the title or excuse me the cover of the next issue before you get into this you know break of the suspense you feel Mm -hmm. that tension while you're reading a collected edition still um and by removing that stuff it totally removes all of the drama that i think you get from reading these serialized type stories yeah yeah and i I think it's true that the the way you writers and creators will craft a 22 page issue versus a you know a 150 page ogn it's a very different writing style you know, and I think mm-hmm, it's important mm-hmm. to acknowledge that. And again, that's always been a pet peeve of mine, the way they do that. And I think, and there's been a lot of miniseries. Sometimes when I'm reading a miniseries, like, why wasn't this just a single volume? So I think because mm-hmm. especially uh, Marvel, DC and Image are so geared toward monthly comic book readers, it's like, it's okay to just publish a hundred page OGN, you know, just do it. If that's what the story yeah. is, yeah. let it be that, you know what I mean? So that's, maybe that's too many thoughts there at the same time. But my biggest thing is when I'm reading a collected edition, I want to see the original title page that the letterer did for that issue published there in the collection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that seems like an easy solution. Who do, how yeah. do we, how do we run this up the chain? Yeah. 
at all the various <laughs> publishers and stuff. And it's yeah. funny, though, because I don't think that this is just a Marvel and DC problem. I think no, that you probably definitely. will see this at Boom. You probably and I think it varies on the book. It all depends on the editor. Mm-hmm. It all depends on who's working on the book and design it and crafting it and stuff like that. I'm I would love to have Kate Lamphere on the show because she does work like this, um, not for comics, <laughs> but in, in a different world, like in, in the same kind of fashion of compiling and designing books. Um, so there's yeah. probably a lot of thought process behind it. I, I would just love to pick someone's brain um, about why they would make those types of choices um, because it, it, it can be very jarring for the reader. But yeah, yeah, solution, just keep that shit in. We really just like it. We it love in. the artifacts. I, I mean, so very, I, very briefly, very briefly, I'm sorry. I, very briefly, I want to say no, no, no. I have the, the absolute edition of Batman Year One, which is obviously one of my favorite Batman stories. I've read that comic mm-hmm. so many times. But if you get the absolute edition, if you pay $100 to the big oversized hardcover edition, Right. It's published in two volumes. The first volume is the version that they published as a trade collection that I've read. But the second collection, the second volume of it, they actually just reprinted the issues basically page by page without the advertisements. But it's on newsprint. They have the original covers with the trade with the actual, you know, um, you know, trade cover dressing on it, all that, the little mm-hmm. box with the the, the uh, issue number and the price. And they also reprint the letters columns from those issues. So it's an Yo. incredibly different reading experience. Like, oh, you're actually reading it as it was published month to month, and it completely changes the rhythm of the story. It's really fascinating. So I'd love to see collections do more of that stuff, where you really kind of reproduce the actual issues as they stand, so you get more of that experience of reading it month to month. Mm-hmm. And then after all of that, Frank Miller calls you up and thanks you for your purchase and you (laughs) try to get him off the phone before he reaches into some (laughs) other topics that are a little more um, controversial. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of controversial, uh, Nick. So I think we've come to the conclusion on Paul's point here, at least to a certain extent. I'd be curious to know if listeners out there have different opinions on this, because I feel like this there is no one solution. But I agree, like these artifacts are important and I I would prefer them over not having them. But uh, Nick, uh, let's let's dig into one of your points, because I feel like everything that you have is controversial. Really? Uh, no, I'm kidding. Okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> All I'm right. Try, I'm trying to spark some drama here. Come on. Oh, oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I forget. We have to get into that keeping up with the Kardashians mindset. Yes. Everything. Yes. Everything's got to be elevated, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So for me, this is a little niche, but as a as a digital reader, uh, largely digital reader, uh, can can I just be told when content is leaving a service? Um, I realize that this doesn't happen as much anymore. You know, Disney Plus, for example, is pretty much only ever adding content. There's no removal anymore. Netflix Mm -hmm. is all Netflix originals because they don't want to see things leave anymore. Um, I'm sure we all remember the great uh, office departure from a couple years ago Mm -hmm. um, when people weren't sure where they were going to find their next um, seven out of 10, sometimes funny show, um, that they could just put on in the background and mute it, uh, for uh-huh. hours on end. So I'm just going to make friends here. I'm not, you know what? I'm just going to make friends, show friends. Uh, and we're good. Yeah. We're going to go after the office. So that's what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. So you don't see as much of this anymore, but, uh, when, when we're talking about something like comiXology, obviously they do have their own original line. We've probably all heard of it. It's called Comixology Originals. Uh, but unlike Netflix or Disney Plus, uh, they don't really have the luxury, uh, nor will they ever probably reach a point where you know they have full control over all of their content. They're just dealing with a lot of content from other people, um, and they're sort of at the whim of what those publishers want to do. 
you certainly don't see this as much with comics as you do with like TV, mm-hmm. but I would just love a warning when something is afoot. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you sometimes see things like this. I mean, Mike, I think I pointed this out to you a couple of weeks ago. There was like a really big GI Joe sale on Comixology, mm-hmm. and I said, "Uh oh!" Like, I think I know what this is about because, as some of us know, uh, GI Joe and Transformers uh, are leaving IDW. And I know it has some complicated shit to do with how Hasbro is reorganizing the company. Yeah. But, you know, nobody has really said anything, at least in terms of like comiXology or anything else. Um, If you've read some articles on other comic book websites, you're probably privy and you can connect the dots and figure out what's going on. And and, and namely, that would be the fact that at some point, that stuff's just going to disappear from... yeah comicsology mm-hmm. for how well, long who yeah. knows well yeah okay anyway go, i know you have more points to this so i won't interrupt you so yeah I, I mean and and if people are like okay nick come up with another n- another example of course i did like what do you think <laughs> i did yesterday go outside god <laughs> no because just saying the weather's not great so it's not great yeah. i'm gonna stay inside and complain about inconsequential things we've also seen this with the alien franchise right obviously not unlike Star Wars, where it was originally Marvel went to Dark Horse, Marvel took back what was originally theirs. Um, with the Alien franchise, it was never in the hands of Marvel. It was with Dark Horse. Disney acquired 20th Century Fox, and along with that came the Aliens franchise. And with along with that, sort of unceremoniously, at one point, all of the Dark Horse non-crossover Aliens books just went and disappeared. From Comixology, mm-hmm. and they—I think they also just flat out disappeared. Not just Comixology. Um, I think they're they're also offered on the Dark Horse website, and maybe one or two other distributors, and they just disappeared. And since right. then, a large amount of Aliens books you can't you can't buy. Like I've recommended Dead Orbit uh, by James Stokoe to multiple people, and yet you can't purchase it. And that just blows my mind that in the year of 2022, in this digital landscape that we now live in, like books are quote unquote out of print and you can't like you can't buy that. That just seems wild to me. Digital books getting it going out of print. is It makes no sense at all. Like from from a consumer standpoint, like I'm yes. sure that there's licensing and, you know, people, lawyers. I'm sure it makes total sense like from that. that standpoint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But. <laughs> like as a consumer like it, it especially books that are so recent right like dead orbit being the craziest book to not have in print given i feel like how popular and how praised that book is the fact that mm-hmm. maybe we're wrong you know someone please correct us if we are wrong and you can buy it now somewhere we just aren't aware but like i think you were recommending it to someone on the server recently or they were just like yeah I, the only way i can get this is physically and i have to like buy it from the united states because it's not even in print anymore you know like it's it's crazy to think that that these are the links that we have to go to read comics that were at one point on sale digitally with no problem and um, all because of weird licensing agreements. Like, why is this not something that can be easily mitigated? You know, um, right. and I, I'm sure that there's more complicated things in 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 view there, but like that we're just not aware of. But it's, it still blows my mind. I'm right there with you. Like, this is such a strange thing, and I think. I guess to get to the solution point of this conversation, like I guess Nick, what are your yeah. thoughts on this? Or Paul, maybe you have any some thoughts on what a solution could be to this? 
Well, I mean, the one thing I'll just briefly say, which is kind of weird because it's almost like Marvel has the solution and they chose not to embrace it. And again, this is all, everyone, this is like a Nick White read between the lines, tinfoil hat, uh, copyright 2020 investigation. So, sure, you know. Like uh, you have no insight on this. This, this is, is just guesswork. Exactly. This is what I have parsed, right? When you look at how Marvel handled taking Star Wars back, right? Literally a week or two before Star Wars number one in 2015 came out from Marvel, they dumped all of the Dark Horse stuff onto Comixology. Mm -hmm. And they branded it all with a big Marvel sticker. You can go look at it. It looks exactly like the Dark Horse trade. Excuse me. It looks exactly like the Dark Horse trades and layouts. They just stamped it with a Marvel sticker and they threw a Legends banner across the front because it's no longer canon, right? (laughs) Yeah. And they just did this to all of the content, but they didn't do anything else. I think maybe they put in like their little credits page with the Marvel corporate board of people right because you have to do that Mm -hmm. but that was it and everything just showed up and you had it and yet with alien um and i get it like alien does not operate anywhere in the same sort of colossal orbit of popularity that star wars has it's just totally on a completely different level and and i acknowledge that but there were people in like January and and February of 2021 that were saying, you know, I can't buy this alien book. What's going on? Marvel seems to be taking the same approach that they did with um, uh, Star Wars, AKA, you know, repackaging, rebranding, and then rolling it out, but they're doing it so slowly. It's just wild. It's like one comic arc a month or something like that. And so well, but like if they give them all of them, if you give if you get all of them, no, Nick, you won't be tempted to buy them one at a time, though. This is yeah, just marketing. If you gave them to me all at once. I would just have to buy them all at once. Right. I don't. <laughs> it's not a problem. <laughs> so like they're rolling them out with these new covers and it looks like they're doing it chronologically. So people are like, oh, I want to read Dead Orbit. And I'm like, well, that's cool. Marvel's rolling out like alien comics from 1993 right now so go grab a capri sun and you'll feel like you're on the same page um (laughs) so uh again i know this is very niche but like it's right but as as properties transfer owners and stuff like that like are we going to see more of this over time right like i was reading an article i was just googled the whole uh transformers thing and i was like there you know transformers is in talks with skybound to be published by them like what's going to happen what's going to happen with all those idw comics like do i have to go buy more than meets the eye right now so that i can make sure that i get it um, is Image going to republish all of those books? Like, that's a huge question. I mean, or I think you end up with some books that end up in a weird legal limbo where nobody right, that, feels they can publish it. Exactly. That's the real fucky stuff. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I had a recent experience somewhat similar to that where I was trying to read um, Astro City on Hoopla. Oh, boy. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> I know where this I, is like, going three trades left in my reading and it's all of a sudden all they just disappeared from hoopla and i understand like mm-hmm. i don't use comic comics comic that much i rely on hoopla so if something's not on there i'm very hesitant to go out and buy it somewhere else like i like to mm-hmm. use hoopla use my local library to read all that stuff right and then i just saw that 
um, because that's a series that was published over like three different publishers over its uh, existence. And like there's different volumes and different sh- miniseries that are part of it. Mm-hmm. It looks like Image got the rights back again, which is probably why it disappeared off Hoopla. And now Image is publishing a collection of the first three years of Astro City that's coming out this week. So it's like the ability to kind of navigate that stuff. If you're not a deep fan who's tracking who owns what, it's very confusing. And I, it's like, yeah. I want to finish reading Astro City. I just am not sure how to get my hands on it. The most convenient way for me. Yeah, it, it's weird because I think like our solution here is, is like a very, very, very consumer based solution here in that just fucking let me read it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I will I will pay for it and I will I yeah. will find any or I will go through any legal means I need to to read this thing. Um, I just it just let me read it. You know, um, if I got to pay for it, if I got to pay for a subscription, if I've got to, you know, purchase the, the, the CBR or the PDF from someone like I'll do it. You know, I, I think the, the problem is that like the availability is all just about the, you know, Brian posted the perfect gift gif in the in the chat which is that's capitalism it's it's a problem of just people wanting to get their money and they're asking for fucking pennies for these comics that are 20 30 years old 40 years old 50 years old um just because they want to be the ones that get the money for it and like sure but like how is this why is this so complicated why does it have to be so complicated if if the goal is to get money in hand then let me pay you for the thing let me just pay right. you for it. Like, what, what do we have? What kind of hoops do we have to actually jump through here? And I'm sure that this could this could spiral back up into like a problem with like copyright and the problem that yeah. Disney has like basically ruined copyright in the United States and yada, yada, yada. And like, I'm totally aware of that. But from a cons- from a con- basic consumer standpoint, don't make this hard and I will give you money for it. I promise. You know? Yeah. I mean, this isn't 2002. Yeah. Like I'm, I want to give you money. I don't want to have to go on LimeWire and accidentally download a Weird Al parody again when Nick. I want like the original song. Okay. Nick is downloading <laughs> aliens dash underscore dead colon slash slash orbit dot exe yeah. to read yeah. on his computer. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to end up with like alien ant farm smooth criminal instead. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right right but they like it's an edited version that has like instead of the michael jackson scream it's yeah. like the sound of the alien mom scream or yeah, mother yeah. screaming yeah and it's like a it's like like 42k kbps bit right it's gonna be <laughs> yeah. good sounds like you're listening to it over am radio yeah, yeah and and if we can't resolve all of the like copyright convoluted stuff and again it's like it's not comiXology's fault obviously they're not the ones they're not the publishers that are arguing with each other or shifting properties they're just the the ones putting out the content and i get that they're Mm -hmm. just they're the messenger and i'm not going to shoot the messenger in this case but um even if we can't get the content like i would just appreciate and maybe the publishers don't want to do this maybe that's part of it but like just give me a heads up like I, i get it that netflix just gives you a month and yeah, that didn't help me when I was halfway through season three of trying to watch all of the X-Files and they gave me a mm-hmm. month to watch nine <laughs> seasons. Mm-hmm. And I, I briefly considered it for about 30 seconds and then roughly did the math on how many episodes <laughs> per day that was going to be. And Actually, I said, how much PTO you have available to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, one cannot watch that much X-Files. So I, I get that, but just even a warning I mean, just maybe even like title the sale, like last alert, and then put like a little pair of siren gifts on either side of it, just so <laughs> I, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's not GIF. We're not having this debate. It's not. Oh, boy. So, um, <laughs> anyways, yeah. 
Well, that's, I mean, I, th- that's a very complicated issue, but I do think that the simplest yeah. solution would be like just a heads up, right? I totally agree with that. I totally agree with Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I don't know. I have, I have other things. Is there any, any, any huge things that we haven't talked about yet? Cause I realized well, this episode's going to go on for forever. Yeah. We could definitely do this for a long time. Um, but is there I any feel like burning gripes? I feel like there's one we all kind of have in common based on the notes here that maybe kind of just, uh, talk about it together is the idea that the few times I do try to read comics digitally or when I was trying to put together the reading list for uh, a better Batmobile, mm-hmm. the ability to actually craft like a playlist of comics on a digital reading oh. app would be the oh, greatest mama. thing. We can actually just say like, here's all the issues I'm going to read, you know, in the order I want to read them in and I can just go and not have to search them down one by one like I normally have yeah. to do. So I... <sighs> here's the craziest thing about this is like I worked at comiXology for four years. I pitched this idea in 2017, I think. Mm -hmm. And like, there just wasn't enough buy-in for it because like it's a complicated ish process. Um, comiXology at the time had like, man, I had the ability to do it. And so like when I stopped working there, like I, I worked for, I, uh, I built a Chrome extension um, that allowed you to do this on the old Comixology site. Like you could basically queue up things and Danny and, and Hugh on the server. Thank you for, for testing it. They played around with it. I don't know if, how often they used it, but like um, I built this thing where you basically could just queue up comics that you had in your library. And then you could go into the web reader for Comixology and you click next at the, you get to the end of a comic and it would say, Hey, do you want to read the next in this series or do you want to read the next item in your queue? Um, and you click next in queue and it would take you to that comic. And like, that was it. It was set up so that you could just read all those books. It was amazing. And I don't know why someone hasn't invented this like for other comic readers, uh, like even things like panels or chunky or all these apps that are out that allow you to read, you know, legal PDFs and CBZs like, why don't they have this? Like, I want to queue up these nine books to read in, in, in an order. Like on Wednesday, the worst thing that I have to do as a digital reader is I have to go back and finish a book and then I have to go back to my library, find the next book that I want to read, start it. And then when I'm done, I have to go back and find the next. And then like, it's not like it's, not like it's backbreaking it's not like it's destroying me and it's blah 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 but it's just a, a, a friction that i wish that i didn't have to have and like if all my books are already there and they're ready to go like why can't i just queue them up and make a playlist to start reading those books and i think like for the better batmobile like to have hoopla mm-hmm. have this would be amazing you know absolutely yeah so i i yeah. if there's if there is interest in this i mean one day if i'm feeling really cheeky maybe i could build something for the current amazon web reader which is not great but like uh maybe i could build something like that to do that because it's just books and links and stuff like that easy enough like who knows um or maybe they'll build it themselves again like i don't read a lot of digital comics this way but i have heard that this is an option that you can do on the dc comics dc universe unlimited whatever it's called dc uh, dc's digital service and i can't verify this i don't take it my uh thing take it with a grain of salt because i've not tested it but if they're able to do that like why couldn't the biggest why couldn't comicsology the biggest you know hub for digital comics so the, uh, the strange is not can. like industry wide it's just it's just they gotta find people that are invested and they have to find a business need for it right like right the thing that we i think we always forget as comic readers and we think we forget as consumers sometimes is that like that we are just people who read these things. But like, if, if a thing doesn't make someone money, they don't want to build it. Like, and the argument is there. And I've made this argument myself and I've heard other people make this argument to, to success and to failure that if you make the thing really good, it makes people more likely to spend money on your platform. Right. 
(laughs) And so adding these types of features, while they aren't immediate money makers, they are the type of things that go, man, this thing's so polished. How could I not use it? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you think of any, any application or any piece of software that you use, what are the ones that you prefer to use the most? Like the ones that are easy to use, even if they aren't doing all the things that you want and they're frictionless or the ones that are do everything that you want, but they are clunky as shit, right? Like, do you get frustrated with your piece of software, even if it does everything that you want it to do? I don't know. This is this is not related to comics, but like I 100% see what you're saying is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Solution is to just write into your your you know app of choice or to Comixology or to Amazon or whatever and say, hey, I want this. It would really make mm-hmm. my life easier. Um, and that's what I want. You know, these companies, you know, tout themselves as customer focused and they want to do everything to benefit their customers. Like this is a perfect example of that. And I think if you can justify it, well, you know, with a, a well-worded email or something, you know, enough people start to ask for it. Maybe it's something that ends up on a roadmap, but it's tough. So, yeah. Anyways, I'll get off my soapbox this week again. <laughs> um, and uh <laughs> Come to our next hangout where I will rant and rave more about this type of stuff. But <laughs> yeah, I guess to um, wrap up this episode, um, thank you guys for for putting together your list of gripes. Um, Danny, <laughs> I hope that we we were able to solve some things for you or at least give our potential solutions. And it would be really curious to know what everybody else thinks. Um, we have some other things in our show notes that are going to go on the Patreon as we usually do every week with the show. But um, yeah, uh, thanks guys for, for recording this. I, any last thoughts, quick thoughts before we wrap up here? Uh, Nick? Yeah, sure. Um, this will be my my other quick gripe, which is uh, a oh, massive, no. could be a 10-part series um, <laughs> maybe in the future. But um, mm-hmm. hey, everyone, let's just get together and stop modern comic book speculation. Oh, mm-hmm. hold on. All right, no, we're cutting the episode there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, that's a whole episode in itself, and we'll have yeah. to get someone from a local comic shop to come on to talk about that because I think we know someone, and I think that would be really fun. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, I'm going to cut you off there. Paul, let any, any final <laughs> thoughts before we wrap up? This unpopular opinion, but please, let's just bring back legacy numbering. Do we need to have a new number one every time the creative team changes? I'm looking at you, Marvel. Oh it's fine. God, right. People can listen, deal with oh, it. It's fine. Okay. Listen, you guys are trying to open fucking cans of burns. <laughs> I'm trying to wrap up the show. Um, <laughs> next week's topic, <laughs> I'm going to be gone. Like I said, Paul, Kate, and Kara are going to be running things, talking comics and whatnot. I'm excited to listen to this episode. So make sure you show up uh, live on the Discord or listen to the episode next week. It's going to be great. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Paul at Ohio Paul. You can follow Nick at Death Star Plans. You can follow me at Mike Raffin and the show at IRCB Podcast on Twitter, Instagram and tiktok renee's been doing some stuff on our tiktok that's really really fun so make sure you check us out over there this episode first aired on patreon and was made possible by the support of our wonderful patrons uh you can join today for exclusive series like the rcb movie club saga of saga and the upcoming a better batmobile you can do that by going to patreon.com slash ircb podcast and if you haven't already please rate and review our show five stars would be great whether that's on apple Podcasts, spotify Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts, because we deserve it. And join the IRCB Discord community to chat about comics and pretty much anything else. And you can listen to the shows live as we record them each and every week. Check the link to our Discord in the show notes. Podcasts grow best when spread by word of mouth, so why not tell your friends, family, and local comic shop about IRCB? 
Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music, and we can't thank them enough for just consistently being a great band. Uh, Xander's a very cool guy who makes us sound fantastic every week. We can't thank them enough for editing the show and putting up with our screaming and yelling, especially mine, every week. Uh, I want to say thank you to Paul and Nick for being on this episode with me. Thank you to everyone who hung out with us in the Discord, and a special absolute high five across the internet all the way from where I am to you to Danny um, for making this episode happen. We really, really appreciate your support of the show on Patreon, and thank you so much for commissioning this. Uh, we, we're going to do a part two, I think. It's not yeah. going to be part of the commission thing, um, so thank you so much for bringing this to us because I thought this was a really great discussion today. Uh, so, and yeah, thank you to everyone out there who listens to the show, and thank you to all the people on the internet who are just fantastic human beings. So, until next time, comics are good, and so are you. Yeah.